0: Second John, verse 7 through 9. Brother Shepard, don't let me forget to vote on you members after the church. Thank you. We've been studying the second and third epistle of John together. Today we'll only be in Second John because there's a, a little piece there that we need to be able to understand the both of these epistles. Last week we learned that there is no greater need for a church than to preach the truth of God's word. And by the way, while I'm thinking about it, let me give you an update on the gospel outreaches that we've had this week. 149 gospel contacts this week. That brings us up to 6,683 for the year. And some of those I had the privilege of witnessing to one-on-one. Listen. Uh, Y'all saw the funeral that I preached a couple of weeks ago in Porcicanna. And I I just felt led to put that online and let someone listen to it. And someone listened to it who by God's grace came to faith in Christ uh, through my ministry years ago. And uh, about that time somebody she who passed away who did not go to church. But his wife was uh, believer, and she wanted someone to preach his funeral. And uh, anyway, next thing you know, I'm getting asked to do his funeral. So I go to this little country cemetery in Anderson County, out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I tell you what, there were so many people coming out there. And uh, young people. and uh, Or middle-aged people. I mean, it was just wonderful to come out to this funeral and and I got to preach God's word. And Tammy, as she always does, had a little basket fixed up. It's got red uh, kind of like material cloth in there, real pretty Like She puts a little gospel booklets in a red stand for blood of Christ. Nobody knows it but us. But still. And then and then I set it out there, and then you know, when I got through preaching to them and telling them about their need to know the Lord, I invited them after the funeral was over, they could walk up to the basket and grab a booklet and take it home and read the gospel and know how to be saved if they like. I got through and I left and I went and visited with some people and visited the funeral director quite a bit and anyway, one by one, you'd see people. They'd walk out from the crowd, they'd go up to that basket and take them a gospel booklet. Twenty-two whole were taken. Twenty-two. Some by the funeral director himself. Five were taken by the lady who invited me so she could share with folks. And she said, by the end of the day, two of the people from that deceased person's family, who knew she got a booklet, asked if they could have one. She got to share two with them. Anyway, God's good. I, I, I enjoyed sharing the gospel with people this week. Praise the Lord for that. And I'm looking forward to sharing this with you. But we learned last week in our study in Second John that there's no greater need for a church to preach God's Word. And we learn that the Word of God and the love of God are inseparable. Remember, for true love to be shown, the love of God's truth must first be known. Faith is the truth we gain. Love is the truth we give. We left off in verse 6 last week where John said, if you'll look with me in verse 6, and this is love... That we walk after his commandments. Again, you cannot separate God's word and God's love. And then John went on to say: this is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. By God's grace, we'll expound again verses 7 through 9 today. Because these verses are going to help us understand both epistles. But before we move into verse 7. This morning, I want you to look with me again. The last part of verse six, John said, As ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in That is the essence of both of these epistles. Now, pay attention to these two phrases in what I just read to you. As ye have heard, ye should walk. You get that? As ye have heard, ye should walk. So herein lies a vital doctrine of the Christian faith. As ye have heard, so you should walk. You got that? As you've heard, so you should walk. John is saying the gospel that we preached to you in the beginning is what Christians should continue to embrace until the end. Don't fall For some new and improved version of the gospel, John said. Look with me now in verse 7. And why should we not fall for some new and improved version of the gospel? Verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world. Deceivers. People who are distorting the truth are convincing people of the devil's lies. Those people have entered into the world. Deceivers. Now here's the thing about a deceiver. Just because a person is a deceiver does not mean that they are intentionally deceiving somebody. Did you know that? Some people actually believe the lies they spread. Speaking of the end times, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.13, he said, "...evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse... Deceiving and being deceived. So even though they are uh, deceiving others, they themselves have been deceived. Alright? But but don't feel sorry for them. Because Paul didn't say good men will be deceived and, and, uh, and, and deceiving folks. He said evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. These are not innocent creatures with good intentions. Remember, Paul said they were evil. The angels who fell from heaven, they were deceived by the devil's lies. But they were only deceived by the devil's lies because they despised God's truth. You see how that works? They were evil angels. There's not a single person on earth who desires to know the truth, who will ultimately perish by a lie. Not one person. I'm going to say it again. There is not a single person in this world who desires to know the truth, but who will ultimately perish by a lie. One spreads the truth, the other spreads lies. That's how it is right now. The devil has his disciples. They go out and they spread his lies. God has his disciples. We go out and we spread His truth. Now, notice the number of false deceivers that have entered into the world. Look look what John said. John said, how many deceivers have entered into the world? Many deceivers have entered into the world. Many of them. There's never been a time on earth when God's truth has not been challenged by the devil. Not one single time. The truth... Unlike many people think, some people think the water. They they send uh, people and, and objects and, air, and spacecraft into outer space. They want to find water. They get all excited. They think they find water, in whatever form out there, or the presence of water in the past. They think water or carbon is the most precious commodity of Earth, but it's not. Truth is the most precious commodity that man can. Truth gives us the knowledge of God. And by giving us the knowledge of God, truth gives life, love, peace, joy, hope, wisdom, security, and everything else that is good, it comes through truth and truth alone. So the devil knows this. So the devil who seeks only to steal, to kill, and to destroy what God has created, he has to rob us of the truth in order to rob us of anything at all. If I have the truth of God, I have God, therefore I have everything. If I am loved of the truth of God, I have not God, therefore at the end of my life for all eternity, I have nothing. That's why we need to seek the truth. Or as the Bible says, to buy it and sell it not above all earthly treasures. John said many deceivers have gone out into the world. Truth comes in one divine, holy, inspired package. One. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But lies, lies being nothing more than the fabrication of a, of a fallen mind, just the imagination of whatever a man wants to come up with and invent, lies are packed in a wide variety of deceitful rackets. They have to all sorts of diverse lusts that men have. And I can make a lie up. Uh, if, uh, if I knew Brother Doug liked a certain thing, I could say, when I hear, here's a good religion for you, and it promotes what you like. Brother says, well, I like that religion. That's what I'll be. I was with a Dallas policeman one time. We were going down the road, and I tried to talk to him about the Lord. And he said, well, I'm Episcopal because I like to drink. I thought, my goodness, is that how you choose your religion? You find one that gives you something you like to do, and said, well, I'll choose my religion based on my desires, my carnal desires. But regardless of the deceitful wrappings, the package inside these lies remains the same. For all deceivers are those, look back in your text, who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. I believe it's important that we don't misunderstand what John's saying here. You can ask pretty much any person from a perverted Christian religion, and they'll tell you that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh in a literal sense. Do you agree with that, Christian? If you go to any of them, I believe even many Muslims would confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. I know for a fact that Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Mormons will tell you who believe that that God is nothing more than a man who worked his way up to being God. They'll tell you that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. You can find a person who believes that you must work your way to heaven on your own, and even that person will say, sure, I believe Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So, John is not saying that everyone who confesses the birth of Jesus is sent from God, and telling you the truth, because we know they're not. Brother, I believe what John is saying is that the good news that the apostles preached about Jesus, that it fulfills, that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament prophecy of the promised Christ, that he is the one sent by God that His gospel is the way to eternal life, and that there is no other Christ that we should look for, that is what we have to confess. We confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, meaning the way of salvation has materialized in the person of Jesus Christ, so the record of Christ is the way to God and none other. Make sense? You see, the man Jesus Christ... He came for a specific purpose. The Bible says He came to, quote, save His people from their sins. So the man Jesus cannot be separated from the gospel of Jesus. The moment we tamper with the gospel of Christ, we stray from the person of Christ. The moment we tamper with the gospel of Christ, we stray from the person of Christ give you an illustration. Let's say, for example, that I was going to tell you uh, something about Andy Schiff. At the funeral the other day, uh, the funeral director came up to me when he realized I used to work in Jacksonville, and he asked me if I knew a particular person, and I did, and so we talked about that person together having a, a common friend for quite a while. So let's say that uh, let's say that I ran into you and and, uh, and you did not know me, but I ran into you and and you said, "Well, uh, you 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 know Andy Shepherd? and I said, "Well, I sure do know Andy Shepard. and you said, "Well, yeah, yeah, I know Andy Shepard too." And, and he's a fine man. I said, yes, he is a fine man. In fact, they say he's a good Bible teacher. Yes, he is a good Bible teacher. I've heard Andy Shepherd teach the Bible many times. He's a, he's a, a very nice, tall, black guy. And he teaches out there at the Church of Christ. Just a fine man. Love his Bible teaching. Now, if I was talking to you like that in a conversation, I think that you would come to the conclusion that I knew a different Andy Shepherd than you. Right? It's the same way with Jesus. It's the same way with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was the subject of the Old Testament temple. Every sacrifice and offering that was made there, every every priest in the work that priest did, it was a foreshadowing of the Christ to come. God who sent Christ was the one who designed the temple. He was the one who originated the priesthood. God used Moses then to communicate his instructions concerning the temple to those Jews. But when Jesus came, when the Christ came that Moses said would come, when the Christ came that the Old Testament prophets said would come, he was rejected by the very leaders of Even though they claim to believe Moses and the prophets. And Jesus told them in John 5:45, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. Listen to that. Moses, in whom you trust, will end up accusing you to God. Jesus said, For had ye believed Moses, he would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if he believed not his writings, how shall he believe my words? Now think about what Jesus told them. He told them that they trusted in Moses. Jesus acknowledged that. Yet at the same time, he said they did not believe Moses. Now how can you trust Moses? At the same time, not believe what Moses said. He said, frankly, that they did not believe Moses' writings, even though they, in some respect, did believe Moses' writings. How can both of those things be true? You see, these people didn't trust the biblical Moses. Or else they would have believed what Moses wrote about in the Bible. So these people trusted in a different Moses, like I was talking to you about a different... And the shepherd. They trusted in Moses of their own devising. And they denied the very Christ that they claimed to believe in. If you would have asked the temple leaders if they believed in the Christ that Moses promised to come, what do you think those leaders would have said? Absolutely. Yes, we confess our faith in the coming Christ that Moses promised But they didn't believe in the same Christ that Moses wrote about, even though they confessed Him because when they stared that Christ in the face, they denied that He was the Christ. So they confessed Moses, but at the same time they denied Moses. They confessed the Moses of their imagination, but they denied the Moses of God's inspiration. You see the difference? Even so, they confessed the Christ of their imagination, but they denied the Christ of biblical inspiration, for they were confessing a different Jesus. They expected the Christ to do something different, and to be something different, than who Christ was, and and what Christ actually came to do. A different Jesus speaking to the church of Corinth, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, 3-4, that he was concerned for the people of Corinth. Now listen why Paul was concerned for them. He was concerned, he said, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that comes preaches another Jesus whom we have preached. Or if you receive another spirit or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might wear, uh, might well bear with him. So the Apostle John said this is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. But here Paul was concerned that one of the many deceivers that John was talking about might very well come to the, the, the people in Corinth and preach another Jesus to them. And then the one that Paul preached, and then they would perhaps tolerate and believe that other Jesus. They might actually listen to that preacher. That's also what happened to the Galatian church. Some of the deceivers that John spoke about had went to the Galatian church. And and though they confessed that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh, they nevertheless perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ altogether. So Paul told them in Galatians 1.6, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Isn't that something? They preached the same Jesus in one sense? They preach that Jesus had come, he was born, he, he died on the cross, he was buried, he rose again. Man, you'd think it's preached the same Jesus we were talking about. But they preach the gospel, but not the gospel Paul preached. Therefore they confess Jesus, but not the Jesus Paul preached. You see how that works? So when John says there's many deceivers uh, who who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, he's speaking about confessing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that gospel which was preached to them from the beginning and is the true fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to the world. The true Christ has come, John said. We need not look for another, but if you pervert the record the apostles gave concerning Christ, then you are preaching another Christ. And, look back in your text. John said this, But it is this person who denies the record of Christ is a deceiver and an antichrist. Although the Galatians, Galatians one nine. He said, "There's not another gospel. Quote, But there be some who trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So they didn't come up with a brand new gospel. And so, oh well, yeah, there's a there's another Christ. Your Christ was born in Bethlehem. Well, ours was born over here in uh, Galatia and uh, and and." And, and yeah he he, he's, he wasn't born of a virgin he was a man like us and he didn't sit down on a cross What well, he did he did this over here and by that we can be saved they didn't preach another Christ by inventing a brand new Jesus they preached another Christ another gospel by perverting the Jesus and the gospel that we've been given so if you pervert the true gospel then you are preaching what? another gospel you see how that works? And therefore, if you pervert the true Christ, then you are preaching another Christ. Thus you do not confess the true Christ. Paul went on to tell the Galatians in verse 8, that though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Like John, Paul was telling them, As you heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. That's what Paul is telling them. Because of these deceivers who do not confess the fulfillment of God's word in Jesus Christ, John warned the church, look at verse 8, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought. Now this can be confusing to you if you were to first look at it. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought. The word wrought is past tense for work. Look to yourselves that we lose not to those things which we have worked. For. And perhaps someone could say, oh, see? Paul's telling me you have to, or John's telling me you have to work for your salvation. That's not what he's saying at all. John said, first, look to yourselves. What he's trying to warn them from is from departing from that true gospel that they're supposed to walk in, that they heard from the beginning. So he, he warned them, look to yourselves. Now listen, I thank God for gospel preaching. I love preaching the gospel. I love preaching the gospel. If anybody that listen to me. But nobody can believe the gospel for you, but you yourself. Nobody. The burden to preach the gospel, that lies at my door. But the burden to believe the gospel lies at your door. As long as you live in this fallen world, there's always going to be some deceiver. Because, man, we have many deceivers out here today. There's always going to be some deceiver trying to convince you the Bible's a big lie. It's some kind of fairy tale. Or that there's some other religion that we need to go with. But by God's grace, I will never stray from preaching the one true gospel unto you. But at the end of the day, you must look to yourselves to never stray from believing. You see what John's saying? For that is an individual choice that each person has to make. John said, look to yourselves that we... See the difference of the pronouns? Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought. John and his company have wrought or worked on the fields of their hearts, laboring to preach the true doctrines of Christ to them. If you have a different translation, yours might have the pronouns differently. You want have different pronouns than what I just read. Anybody? Glad to hear that. Some modern translations change the pronouns around. It says, look to yourselves, you don't lose the things that you were. But that's not what Paul's talking about here, what no, John's talking about here. He said, John and them, they've been laboring on the fields of their heart, laboring to preach the true Gospels of, and doctrines of Christ to them. And John did not want his labor to be in vain. He did not want to lose the things that he had worked for. Last Friday uh, was payday for a lot of people. Anybody get paid Friday? And, and, and after you didn't all week... You didn't want to lose that paycheck, did you, brother? No, sir. John did not want to lose the fruit that he had worked for by preaching the gospel to them, just to have them run off to some other gospel or just to have them depart from the gospel altogether. He did not want his labor to be in vain. In the same way, Paul told the Galatian church in Galatians 4.11, if you're taking notes, write down Galatians 4.11 in your margin. He said, I am afraid of you. Now, these are the people that Paul said... Had been someone had come and preached another gospel there, they had reverted the gospel of Christ. So Paul said, "I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain." John worked in the fields of God's harvest, so he wanted to reap the full rewards of his gospel labor. He told the church, look to yourself, that, that they lose not the things that they, they had worked for, but, but look back in your text, but that we receive a full reward. If you remember when we were going through First and 2 Thessalonians, Paul was concerned for the saints of Thessalonica as well. Not because someone had come and perverted the doctrine of Christ, but because they were suffering persecution for their faith in Christ. And Paul was concerned that, oh, you know, that, that, that them going through that persecution, some of those saints would say, oh, forget this Christianity stuff. I'm not here. I'm done with that. Man, too much trouble for me. Paul said, man, when I could no longer forbear, I, he said in, 2, in 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, he said, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith. I had to send someone to check on you to make sure that you were still a believer. Make sure you didn't give up on Jesus. He said, Lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Same thing John is talking about here. Look to yourselves that we don't lose what we work for. We want. We want our paycheck on Friday. We want to get our full reward when Jesus comes. I occasionally hear back from people who profess faith in Christ to the Noam Saved website. And I want to tell you, when I hear that they are still walking in the gospel truth that they heard in the beginning, I rejoice. Love to hear from them. And it would break my heart for them, uh, one of them one day, to say, I no longer believe the gospel. I, I decided I'd raise a more tolerant and, and, and less narrow view of God. Many cast the gospel. What if I heard them say that? It would break my heart. In that case... Time that I spent with him, the prayers that I spent with him, my labor would what? It would have been in vain. You see, I would not receive my full reward. Verse nine, John said, "For whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God." Now that word "transgressed" here it means to violate a command, to violate a command. All right, now go back. Remember what John told us in verse six. He said, This is the commandment. I want to underscore that word commandment. And right out next to that word commandment, Rocknut right, uh, put the, verse 9, or B9. And then in verse 9, the word says, Whoever transgresses, if I want to put a little mark on there, to refer yourself back, if you ever read this again in verse 6. The word transgress means to violate a command. And John said the command is that as we heard the gospel from the beginning, we should continue to walk in it. And so now in verse 9, he's basically referring back to that. Said, Whoever transgresses that commandment and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Now notice John didn't say whoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ shall lose God, once hath God, but now no longer has God, he says he doesn't have God. So the fact that he did not abide in the commandment revealed he no longer had God, revealed he was someone who was without God. So whoever professes to believe in the gospel of Christ today, but ultimately transgresses God's commandment to abide and continue in that doctrine, they are someone That even though they may confess today, they are alive. They do not have God. The Gospel requires that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Gospel requires us to never abandon our hope in the Gospel. But to keep our hope in Jesus for eternal life unto the end. Unto the end. Now why was John so passionate about this need to continue in the faith? Now how can he... He's, he's talking about this to these people and saying, whoever transgresses and abides not the doctrine of Christ, they don't have God. Why is he so hung up on this? Because John, in his walk with Jesus, when Jesus was still here on earth, he had personally witnessed many people who professed faith in Christ in the beginning, who ultimately walked away in the end. And then he recorded that as well. He had seen people believe in Christ for one reason or another but who ultimately rejected Christ for the very reason he came. See, I can believe in Jesus for one reason. But if I don't believe in him for the reason he came, I'm not believing in him at all. I'm, I'm trusting in Jesus the way the people trusted in Moses who did not believe Moses. You see how that works? When Jesus said, well, you trusted Moses, but you don't believe in Moses. Some people trusted Jesus, but they don't believe Jesus. John recorded one such instance in John chapter 8, verse 30. Jesus was telling the crowd of how God had sent him into the world, how he came from God. And he was speaking so eloquently, so powerfully. And the Bible says John, the one that wrote 2 John here, he told us in John 8:30 that as Jesus, quote, spake these words, many believed on him. You think, wow. Many people believed on Jesus. He that believes on Him has everlasting life. Therefore, they had everlasting life. No, they didn't. Are you saying, Brother Richard, that people believed on Jesus, yet they weren't saved? I sure am, because that's what God's Word says. But they believed on Him in the same way, or they trusted in Him the same way that people trusted in Moses, who at the same time didn't believe what Moses wrote. You see? They believed on Jesus Christ, yet they were not saved because they did not believe on Him as the Savior of the world. That's right. Not the Savior of the world in the sense that He came to save them from their sins. They believed on Him perhaps as the Savior of the world in the sense that Brother Shepherd talked about this morning, as a Savior who would find grass for the mules. Boy, that was good sentence Someone who delivered us from the Romans. So he'll deliver from the food shortage. So he'll take care of our carnal needs. Boy, you start talking about the sin issue your need to be reconciled to God, do a righteous propitiation, dying on your behalf. Ha <laughs> ha, I don't want any of that. So they believe a different Jesus than what we believe in. Jesus perceived that they believed on him. John told us. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believe on Him, quote, If ye continue in My Word, in other words, if you abide in the doctrine of Christ, then are ye My disciples indeed. Now He didn't say, If ye continue in My Word, then you shall be My disciples indeed. He said, Oh, you believe on Me now? you have your faith in Me now? Okay. Well, let me tell you how I will know and everybody else will know if you are truly my disciple. That's if you continue in my word. And Jesus went on to say, and ye, by continuing continue in my word, shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They still weren't free. They were believing in Jesus for something else. Jesus said, if you continue to keep your faith in me. Okay, you're my genuine disciple. But when Jesus started talking about the truth setting them free... You know what they started doing? They quit believing on Jesus and they started arguing with Him. Now i tell you right there, they were not Jesus' disciples. They began arguing with Him. We don't need to be set free. And then ultimately, they rejected Jesus altogether because they refused to accept the idea that they were bondage to their sin. So John knew all too well how easy it was for people to get on the Gospel bandwagon Start singing praises about Jesus and then jump off that wagon when the road got a little bumpy and Christianity no longer stood their fancy. John didn't cut in corners in the second epistle. Jews abode in the house on Passover night, and we must abide in the doctrine of Christ. Same thing. What happened to those Jews got out of that house on Passover? What if they went in there behind that blood? They said, "Well, you know, I don't know. I think maybe, I think maybe Doctor So and So over here he'd probably do a better job." I hear about all these people dying in this plague tonight. I think Doctor So and So do a better job for us. And that old blood on the door out there, and this lamb we butchered and everything. Let's go over. Let's say Doctor So and So's house. If they would walk out that house, what would have happened to them that night? They'd die. And if they walk out of the house to trust in Dr. So and so, that means they never trusted the blood at the beginning with. So they're thinking there was a God at the beginning, And it would have revealed that they did not believe. How did the Jew know they were saved from the plague on Passover? They knew because they were abiding in the place that was marked by the blood of the Lamb. How do we know that we're saved from the plague of sin? We know because we are abiding in the place that is marked by the blood of the Lamb. The cross, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the record God gave of Him, the doctrine of Christ, as John's putting it this morning. Whoever does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. John said, but, look back in your text, he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Where are you abiding right now? Can you honestly say that your hope for eternal life rests in one thing alone? promise about what Jesus Christ came and did on your behalf. And that one day He's coming again to make all thank you. Are you abiding in the doctrine of Christ? That He was the Son of God. That He lived and died as a substitute for you. That He overcame the grave. That's the doctrine of Christ. The doctrine of Christ means the truth that God's revealed concerning the Savior He sent. In 1 John 4.10, John said, God sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sin. And on account of this propitiation, John told us in 1 John 5.11, this is the record that God had given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. The doctrine of Jesus Christ is the good news that God was manifested in the flesh, born of the virgin, born under the law, that He might redeem those who were under the law. He died for our sins, was buried to put those sins away forever, and then rose victorious over the grave on our behalf. That is the blood upon the house of God's redeemer. And all who abided are saved forever. Ooh, I'm sitting down right now eating that lamb. I am behind that blood. I'm abiding in the doctrine of Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Listen, He died for our sins. He was buried and put them away. That is the blood on the house of God's redeemed. All who abide in it are saved forever. They have both the Father and the Son forever joined to their Creator, their Redeemer, and their Friend. By the Spirit of God, through faith in the Son of God. Why would anyone want to walk away from something so wonderful as that? Not I. Not I. The standard will be destroyed.